What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are following breaking news out of North Idaho. The Moscow, Moscow Police, Police Department says they responded to reports of an unconscious person on King Road around noon today. When they got there, they found four people dead inside the home. The bodies of three women and one man, all 21 or under, were found together. The victims were attacked with a large knife. This is a massacre. There's no other way to say it. This is The Idaho Massacre, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Episode 1, Murders on King Road. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, and Connor Powell. Upon further investigation, officials found four people dead. The university sent an alert asking students to stay away from the area and to shelter in place. The killings, the first murders in the city of Moscow in years, terrified the small, close-knit community. On November 13, 2022, the normally idyllic college town of Moscow, Idaho, was shaken by the news of a gruesome murder. Just before noon on Sunday morning, a 911 dispatcher received a call from a six-bedroom house on 1122 King Road. The caller said one of their roommates was unconscious. Emergency personnel rushed to the house. The three-story rental property was tucked away on a quiet, dead-end street. It was just feet from the University of Idaho's Fraternity Row and its scenic, tree-lined campus. Inside, the house was described as a bloodbath. 
The next day, blood could be seen seeping through the walls and was visible from the street. The four victims were all close friends and students at the University of Idaho. Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, and Zana Kernoodle all lived together in the house on King Road. Ethan Chapin was Zana Kernoodle's boyfriend and was visiting for the night. The reality is there's still a person out there who committed four horrible, horrible crimes. Here's Stephanie and Jeff. I think, like so many people, this case hit us particularly because of the sheer magnitude of violence and tragedy that occurred in this house. You know, you had these four young people who were so full of life and had seemingly everything going for them. And it was taken so quickly and so violently that it just, at least for me personally, seemed so unimaginable. Like the whole country, we were absolutely horrified when news broke of this case. And we immediately started digging in. And yes, there was a lot of coverage at the start, but our goal here is hopefully to go a bit deeper into the case. Thankfully, a massacre so large, it's incredibly rare. But whoever did this is essentially a great white shark of murderers. This was such an overkill. The exterior of the house, walls were literally bleeding. What kind of maniac would do this? We really felt like as true crime producers, we wanted to focus our attention on the facts and really put everything in one place and make it manageable for people because there are so many mistruths and headlines out there that aren't necessarily even fact-checked. And so as a team, we really want to dive into this case and explore what's true and what's not. The University of Idaho is a classic red brick campus nestled in the green rolling hills in the northwestern corner of the state. It is situated in the small rural agricultural community of Moscow, Idaho. Before it was a crime scene, the house at 1122 King Road was at the center of university life and home to five female roommates. Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodal, Dylan Mortensen, and Bethany Funk. Just hours before the gruesome killings, 21-year-old senior Kaylee Gonzalez posted a photo to social media showing all of the roommates and Zana's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, during happier times. One lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day, she wrote. When you look at some of the photographs that have been generated on social media or that we've seen on the news, for example, they look so happy and they literally look as though they're on the cover of a magazine, like a J. Crew ad or a Gap ad. Kaylee was the blonde 21-year-old senior from Rathdrum, Idaho, who had majored in general studies. She had actually just graduated and was not officially living in the house on King Road, only back to visit for the weekend. She had been a member of Alpha Phi Sorority and was a hardworking student. She was actually on the verge of moving to Austin, Texas, where she was going to work at a tech company, and she had just bought this shiny new Range Rover to make the drive. She was in town to show her friends the new car. Kaylee and fellow victim Madison Mogan had grown up together in northern Idaho, and the pair had been inseparable ever since sixth grade. They were more like sisters than friends. That's what makes this even more unimaginable. Their family said that they spent all of their time together. Imagine that, best friends since sixth grade. And they kind of look like sisters. Madison, who went by the name Maddie, was 21 years old at the time of her death. She was also a marketing major. Maddie was known for her hilarious sense of humor. She was extremely bubbly and she loved the color pink. 
I'm looking at a photo of her right now, and she's wearing this bright pink dress. She has long blonde hair, slightly wavy, and she is just smiling ear to ear. She also worked as a waitress at the Mad Greek restaurant with her other roommate, victim 20-year-old Zana Kernodal. Zana was also a stunning brunette. She was also very sporty. According to her friends, Zana played volleyball, track, and even soccer in high school. She was a junior at the University of Idaho at the time of her death. They are dear friends. They're sorority girls. They work together. And all three of them, by all accounts, were very close. Zana was dating 20-year-old Ethan Chapin from Conway, Washington at the time of her death. Ethan was a freshman at the University of Idaho and a triplet who his siblings also went to school at Idaho. And he was very close with them and his fraternity brothers. But really, the relationship that mattered to him most was his with Zana. While they were young, they had truly found love. They were spending time together outside of school in the summer with each other's families. And Zana's dad described their relationship as one of deep importance and seriousness. And despite losing their lives at a young age. He said he was happy that Zana and Ethan had found each other and at least were together when they died. The night of Saturday, November 12th, started like most weekend nights for the friends living at 1122 King Road. Zana Kernodal and her boyfriend Ethan Chapin spent the evening partying at the nearby Sigma Chi fraternity house. Kaylee Gonsalves and Madison Mogan were seen at the local sports bar. The pair left around 1.30 in the morning, stopping at a local food truck. Surveillance photo and a social media stream from a food truck captured Kaylee, Maddie, and another friend ordering food around 1.40 a.m. Welcome back. I would like the, um, the cow banana. Okay. Can I have, like, a free grub tuck on my, like, nap? Oh, yep. Uh, so what you want to do is we'll actually uh, do this. There you go. Thank you. Absolutely. Police determined Maddie and Kaylee arrived home at 1.56 a.m. based on new digital evidence collected by investigators. Ethan and Zana are believed to have arrived just 10 minutes beforehand. Around 4 in the morning, police say Zana received a food order from DoorDash. A little while later, one of the surviving roommates, Dylan Mortensen, was woken up by a sound. She thought it was Kaylee playing with her dog. She was on the same floor as two of the victims who were killed, Zana Kernodle and Ethan Chapin, telling police she was woken by a noise at 4 a.m., hearing Kaylee say something like, there's someone here. She peeked outside her door, but didn't see anything. At 4.12 a.m., Zana, still awake, was scrolling through the social media app, TikTok. Just a few minutes later, Dylan told police she once again heard a noise. She heard crying from Zana's room, followed by a male voice saying, it's okay. I'm going to help you. She later opened her door again after hearing crying coming from Zana Kernodal's room. This time, she saw a dark figure standing there. She opened her door and stood frozen as a man wearing black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. Describing him as 5'10 or taller, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. Terrified, she remained frozen in place as the suspect walked past her and left out the sliding glass door behind her. Authorities say that roommate was in shock. 
After looking through surveillance footage and hearing the surviving victim's statements, investigators say they believe the murders took place between 4 and 4.25 a.m. Eight hours after the killings, police were called to the house on King Road. When they arrived, they found a gruesome scene. Four people all brutally, repeatedly stabbed to death. Kaylee Gonzalez and Madison Mogan were killed in the bed they were sharing on the third floor. Ethan Chapin and Xana Kernodal were found dead in her room. Ethan's throat was sliced. Nearby, his girlfriend Xana Kernodal was found with multiple defensive wounds to her hands and arms. Three days after the murders, investigators briefed the public. The results of autopsies indicated that the four were stabbed multiple times and were likely asleep during the attack. Some had defensive wounds and there was no sign of sexual assault. We have heard mention that Kaylee stated she may have had a stalker. Detectives have been looking into that and to this point have been unable to corroborate the statement. According to investigators, there was no sign of forced entry and there was no murder weapon left at the scene. We continue looking for what we believe to be a fixed blade knife used in the murders. However, the killer did leave one key piece of evidence behind. When inspecting the house for the first time, officers noticed a tan leather knife sheath lying on the bed where Kaylee and Madison were found. Investigators also said they had ruled out several people. We do not believe the following individuals were involved. The two surviving roommates, the male seen in a grub truck video uh, circulating on the internet, a private party who drove Kaylee and Madison home, any of the individuals who spoke to the dispatcher on the 911 call. We're also aware of a male whom Madison and Kaylee had called several times the morning of November 13th, and we do not suspect that individual. The question remaining, who entered the residence later that night to carry out these grisly murders. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joseph Scott Morgan is a forensic expert at Jackson State University and is a former senior investigator for the Fulton County Medical Examiner's Office in Atlanta, Georgia. He spoke to producer Jeff Shane and Stephanie Lidecker about the crime site and the events of the morning of November 13th. I think the watchword here is intimacy. These kids that are in the middle of college careers that are partying, they're going to Greek parties or they're preparing for graduation, you know. It's a very protected environment. The thing you've got to worry about the most probably in this location is are you going to get another parking ticket by the police? There's also this layer of presumed safety when we're off in college, right? It's this bubble, and it's supposed to be. It's horrifying to know that that level of safety isn't real. You're not thinking, you know, is this is the apocalypse coming? Am I going to be slaughtered in my bed? Intimacy ends and begins with the perpetrator. He's intimate with them. They don't have an awareness of his intimacy. But what do you think happened in those 16 minutes when he came into the house? There's two ground levels. So you have a parking pad that's in the rear of the building where you would enter in to the area that many people would say first floor, and I've heard some people say basement. And it's where there's a key. There's a keypad. And according to everyone that I have heard talk about this to this point many people knew the code on the keypad okay but i don't think he entered through that location he entered on what would be referred to as the second ground floor which is there's kind of a a field behind that extending outward away from the home that has kind of a brush line on either side it's sufficient enough for concealment so if the house is all ablaze in light you could stand out there on that the second level and stay back in this wooded area and see everything that's going on. It has been stated that that second floor entrance is actually this sliding glass door. And of course, the darkness of night, you can stand there and you can watch everything that goes on. If you're not illuminated, if you're not standing under some kind of artificial light outside and every single movement you can track, you know, looking through that, that sliding glass door and the other associated windows you can see when a light comes on upstairs now you can't see anything that's going on on that bottom level but you can see right into the second floor so once the lights had died down and the perpetrator would have had knowledge that that back door the glass door 
was commonly left unlocked, which is an interesting point, I think, because that again goes to an intimacy and a familiarity, doesn't it? So when the perpetrator makes entrance, painting the picture, when you make entrance through that sliding glass door, it's kind of like a great room, if you will. Kind of an open, you know, people use the term open floor plan. You've got a an area over to the right where I think that, you know, there might be some seating over to the left is kind of a dining kitchen area. It'd be a great place to gather if you were having friends over. You know, people could come over. Interior guests could spill out onto the little landing there outside the door. What else can you tell us about the house? We know that there were loud parties there because there had been noise complaints in the past. But when you walk in, if you go back to your right as you're walking through that sliding glass door, there's bedrooms down that way but he bypasses those and proceeds upstairs to the third floor. Well, you've got one bedroom that is occupied, another one that is unoccupied, and the one that is occupied are, that room is actually occupied the night of the killing by two friends. And when I say friends, I mean friends, as close as two friends could possibly be. We're talking about two young ladies that had actually grown up together. They decided to go to U of I together because of this childhood bond that they had developed. One of the victims was preparing to graduate. As a matter of fact, her stuff was already out of her bedroom. She had come back to visit, and because there was no other place to sleep, they'd been out that night. So when they get back to this home, they're upstairs. And remember, anybody that's in that backyard and they're waiting and they're watching, they could see movement of two people perhaps these two young ladies as they went past the sliding glass doors and then went up. Maybe there was a light that went on upstairs and when the light finally went out upstairs, perhaps that's the moment in time when you know to move. You've been thinking about this, you've been planning it, you're very excited about the opportunity that you're gonna have to wreak havoc. For any friends or family connected to the victims, the following will be difficult to hear make the entrance through the house and you walk down the hall you turn you go up the staircase and there they are before you they're laying in bed now was there an awareness that he had entered the room was there a a scream a shout or anything like that it's hard to tell right now at this point but it would appear that they were essentially killed where they were laying in that bed they didn't move out of the bed and this would have been a vicious attack and even even with alcohol in their systems they're not blind drunk. There would have been knowledge on their part and awareness that there was an attack underway. And it's not just any kind of attack. It's not like someone's being shot. You're talking about a milled edge weapon that's made for combat and it's being driven multiple times into each one of their bodies. There would have been screams. There would have been discomfort. There would have been cries and there would have been blood. That bed itself the walls around it probably would have been awash in blood. There would potentially have been so much blood it would have soaked through the mattress and dripped through on the surface below. Depended upon where they're stabbed and how many times they were stabbed. What about the killer? The perpetrator, the person that did this, would have been effuse with blood as well. They would have had blood certainly on their upper body, contact points on their hands, front and back, palmer aspects. Just imagine a traditional sewing machine needle going up and down like this, and every time the knife is drawn away, 
The surface of this blade is covered in blood. It's going to be cast onto that person perhaps, not to mention the adjacent surfaces, whether it's the ceiling or the walls. Because it's dynamic, it's not like you're driving this knife into an inanimate object. These are living, breathing human beings that are reacting to pain, so they're going to be turning and twisting and jostling and trying to get away from the pain because their pain centers are alerted. That's what happens with stab, stab wounds. People can be shot and literally not be aware that they're shot. People are aware when they're stabbed or they're cut. And so it's a reactive kind of thing like this that's going on, and it's not just once or twice. It's multiple times. That's why I believe that that area is going to be super saturated in blood. There's going to be a tremendous amount of trace evidence that's up there, blood evidence that's left behind. And then in this frenzy, for whatever reason, the sheath is left behind. So it's unknown in this period of time what the perpetrator does in this environment. Does this subject linger over the bodies? Or is it containment and I'm leaving? It would seem containment and leaving. But there's a problem when he begins to exfil out of the house to leave to most probably exit the same way in which he came in. He meets up with a young man that is with his girlfriend in her bedroom downstairs, meets this young man at the door. He's a tall young man. And according to reports, when he meets up with his perpetrator, the perpetrator cuts his throat. You got to think about that just for a second. This edged weapon is driven across the anterior aspect of his neck and his throat is cut right there. Again, blood. So if you take that biological element and commingle it with the two victims upstairs and now you've gone into another bedroom on the second floor and you've killed first this young man who's found dead apparently in the doorway. They were alerted somehow. They were up. We know that the young lady that was in there was actually on her phone on TikTok. After this young man was killed, the perpetrator went into the bedroom. Joseph Morgan is referring to Zanna Kernodal and Ethan Chapin. And this young lady that he killed in there after he just killed her boyfriend, she certainly had an awareness. And you know how I know? She fought back. It stated that she had sustained sharp force injuries to her hands, multiple and to her arms. As a matter of fact, the injuries on her hands were so deep that they cut the tendons on her hands. That's an indication that she's grabbing the blade and that the blade is actually, as she grabs the blade, she's trying to fend it off. And as she grabs the blade, the blade is being drugged through her hand. In order to generate this kind of injury after, if what we believe sequencing is right, after stabbing so many times, you know, uh, I think everybody can understand knives get dull, right? So you're talking about butchering three other adults. And by the time you get to the fourth adult, the knife still has enough of an edge on it that it's going to cut through the hand, which the texture of our hands is, it's rough. There's a reason they sell us hand lotion, right? To soften our hands. Our hands are rough and not just cut the surface of the hands, but to cut down to structural elements within the hand, to cut through them, to slice through them. This knife was very, very sharp and had been prepared probably for this specific intention. I don't know, maybe the person had taken it and maybe they had a grinding stone, maybe they took it someplace to have it sharpened, or maybe they just sat alone in their apartment somewhere and used a whetstone and just sharpened it over and over and over again until they felt like it had enough of a sufficient edge. After that is perpetrated, it's my belief that 
the perpetrator exits the same way that they came in. Now, did they have to reopen the door? That's, that's key because what did we talk about? This individual would have been covered in blood. And if that's the case, did they put their hand on the handle of the door to pull it aside in order to exit out of the house? Or did they leave it open knowing that that's the position that they were going to exit from? That way you don't have to touch any other surfaces. Would this individual have been thinking that many moves ahead? Or did they run the risk of after they had all of the blood on them, did they pull it aside where they were in gloves? Well, if they were wearing gloves, where are these blood saturated gloves? Where are these clothes? You know, what, what happened to them? Were they thrown away in the trash? Here's Stephanie. I think it's just important to know, which is why the reason that it's so important that we have you talk to us about this particular case is really because there's so much crossover in my opinion, between this case and the Piketon massacre, specifically the overkill, the idea of ordinary people who just look like a neighbor who has opportunity somehow actually is the boogeyman. Are there any other similarities in your opinion? Here again, Joseph Scott Morgan. I worked in the morgue for many, many years, a long time. I've seen more blood than most people can imagine. And I have finished my day up in a morgue and I've been covered in blood. And that's under a very controlled, non-pressure situation, using the correct tools, mind you. How much more so with somebody that has never been, to the best of my knowledge, around this kind of gore, this level of violence? How are they going to get out of this environment and not be covered in blood. They don't, I wouldn't think that they would have the same level of skill, certainly as a surgeon, and certainly not somebody that works in my field in forensics, working in the morgue, where all we do is dissections day in and day out. I can't imagine that they could escape that scene without having blood from just covering certainly the anterior aspect of their body. This morning, students on edge at the University of Idaho the news of the murders sent shockwaves through the community. In the immediate days after the discovery of the four bodies, authorities issued multiple conflicting statements about whether or not there was a continued threat to the public. An alert was sent to U of I telling students to stay away from the area and to shelter in place, and it has since been lifted. They insist there is no wider threat to the public Yet there have still been no arrests. Police investigating the mysterious murders of four Idaho college students now say the threat to the community may not be over. The reality is there's still a, a person out there who committed four horrible, horrible crimes. I felt like a lot of the residents, some of them were concerned, but a lot of the students left and they didn't come back. They decided to take their classes remotely and they went home before Thanksgiving break. You know, people were on edge. It really scared a lot of people wondering who on earth would do something like this and why. That is Anjanette Levy. Anjanette is a reporter with the Law and Crime Network. She was on the ground in Moscow after the murders and spoke to producer Jeff Shane. You were in Moscow following the murders. What was it like? When you go to Moscow, Idaho, it's just this quiet college town. Not much happens there. The police department is tasked basically with 
keeping college kids safe, making sure they're not doing anything too crazy while they're drinking. And it just kind of shatters this sense of security that people living there had, especially among the college students. So many of them, even when I went there, were staying in their dorms and what have you to finish their classes remotely, because that's one of the things the university did was offer the kids remote classes so they wouldn't have to go out and about while this was ongoing. So I think it put a lot of pressure on the Moscow Police Department. They brought in the Idaho State Police. They brought in the FBI to assist. This was too big for them. And, you know, to their credit, they realized that. But it would be too big for a lot of departments, even departments that are used to handling homicide investigations. You have four kids. That's four cell phones. That's four distinct crime scenes within one home and video from all over to analyze. So this was a big task. How quickly do you think that they realize when you see a crime scene of this magnitude, this is a big deal? Does that happen immediately, you think? Oh, I think they knew that walking into it. I think the minute they saw the amount of blood in the house and everything we had heard was that there was a tremendous amount of blood in this home. We're talking about one of the victims, Santa Carnodal. Her father told a news outlet in Arizona that she fought. So she fought her attacker. There were defensive wounds. We're talking about people being stabbed in different parts of their torsos uh, in other locations. That's, that's a lot, a lot of blood. And plus they laid there for hours until someone was called, until 911 was called. So that's a lot of time for someone to lay there and basically bleed out. But the gruesome details of the murder and the confused messages from public officials only stoked concerns. These posts on the university's Facebook page, why is there not a huge manhunt going on? And killer still at large. How can you reassure us that kids are safe? The school posting this notice on social media Monday, writing increased security will be on site for the remainder of the semester. The search for a killer now in its third week. Police say they still have no suspect or murder weapon in the deaths of four Idaho college students. Let's stop here for another break. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., 
I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As investigators cataloged hundreds of pieces of evidence and sorted through thousands of tips, the University of Idaho held vigils and a memorial service to remember Kaylee, Madison, Zana, and Ethan. Well, hundreds gathered today in Post Falls for a memorial service for Kaylee, Madison, Zana, and Ethan. The world is a darker place without them. But the light, of their, the light of their love and memories will always guide us all. Anyone who knew Kaylee would tell you the same thing. To know her was to love her. Her love for life and everyone in it was so inspiring. She made it a priority to make everyone feel so important and so loved, which is such a very rare and beautiful trait. There was never a day that she didn't want to race her brother because she was just determined that girls were faster than boys or that she didn't want to go bug her little sisters and, and uh, you know, make sure they knew that she was older and they were the little sisters. Um, Kaylee is a huge part of our family. The dynamics of our family will never Maddie has truly been a blessing in our lives. Watching her grow and mature and to the amazing woman she become is truly priceless in our hearts. She was the world to us. Favorite memory for me was watching the game with her and every time the Steelers scored, I'd pick her up and I'd hold her high in the air and we'd celebrate together. And she'd always just laugh so hard at that. She, we'd just crack up and have a great time. Santa, you will not be forgotten. You have impacted so many lives and have given people so much love. I hope I can make you proud and try to leave an impact on this world and on people like you did. If you knew Ethan, he was never angry about anything. He would never get upset. He had such an infectious smile and a charismatic personality. Nearly three weeks after the murders, we still do not have a suspect profile at this time. For 24 days, the investigation seemed to be making little progress. Family and media publicly criticized investigators. I do not feel confident, and that's why I hate to be 
that guy. But everybody has a job and a role to play in this. This is my role as the parent. Then, on December 7th, police announced a break in the investigation. Breaking news into the in the investigation into the murders of the four University of Idaho students. Just within the last hour, Moscow police have released the first potentially significant information regarding evidence connected in this case. Detectives announced just minutes ago that they are interested in talking to the person or people in a white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Electra. Moscow police said a white Elantra car was seen near the home on King Road during the early hours of November 13th. Moscow police say the person or people in that car may have critical information regarding the case. But behind the scenes, the investigation had discovered other potentially important evidence. This included a single piece of male DNA. It was found on the button snap of the tan knife sheath found on the bed where Kaylee and Madison were killed. Though they didn't announce it publicly, police were on the brink of an arrest. We have breaking news and the murders of four Idaho college students. 48 days after those gruesome murders, authorities making an arrest. In the early morning hours of Friday, December 30th, approximately 50 officers and FBI agents stormed a single-family home in the foothills of the Pocono Mountains. In conjunction with the Pennsylvania State Police, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, detectives arrested 28-year-old Brian Christopher Kohlberger in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, on a warrant for murders of Ethan, Zena, Madison, and Kaylee. This morning, authorities putting a face to the fear. According to police, Koberger's home in Pennsylvania had been under surveillance for days. In the driveway, a white Hyundai Elantra, exactly like the one investigators had been looking for. Police linked Koberger to the crime in part through DNA technology and tracked through his car. Brian Koberger grew up in Pennsylvania and dreamt of being a police officer. In a chilling twist, police say the alleged killer studies criminology at Washington State University in Pullman. In the fall of 2022, Koberger began a PhD program in Pullman, Washington. This was just eight miles from the home on King Road where Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan were murdered. He's being very calm. He's very aware. He understands the proceedings. Koberger indicated to his Pennsylvania attorney, Monroe County Public Defender Jason Labar, that he was innocent. Brian was very shocked by his arrest, did not know why they were there, but Brian indicated to me that he was eager to be exonerated. Some of those who know Brian Koberger were shocked at the arrest. Others weren't surprised. But she said to me, did you hear about Brian? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, turn on the news. And then I was like, oh, my God. But with that said, I was shocked, but it made sense. More on that next time. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Idaho Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Connor Powell, Chris Bargo, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. 
Music by Jared Astin. The Idaho Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts like this, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Deanna, who you may know as Body Movin'. My friend and I, John Green, were featured in the Netflix documentary, Don't F With Cats. On our new podcast, True Crimes with John and Deanna, we're turning our online investigative skills to some of the most unexplained, unsolved, and most ignored cases. Police say 33-year-old Bridegan was shot dead. Gunned down in front of his two-year-old daughter. Detectives confirmed that it was a targeted attack. It appears to be an execution-style assassination. This is very active, so we have to be careful. I've heard that there's a house that has some bodies in the basement. I knew. I just knew something was wrong. Maybe there's something more sinister at play than just one young girl going missing. If you know something, heard something, please... It's never too late to do the right thing. This is True Crimes with John and Deanna. The production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Justice is something that takes different shapes or forms. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.